Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by none other than Jason Anderson of Black and Red United. Now, we knew we had to have Jason on this week because we finally, after months and months and months and months of back and forth and breaking news, and he said this and she said a different thing, we have a new owner of the Washington Spirit. Um, I believe it was Tuesday of this week that a release went out to media and to the public. Uh, I think it just says Washington Spirit finalizes ownership. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. concise. <laughs> but the backstory there is that Steve Baldwin and um, Bill Lynch did indicate, called, I, I don't know exactly how, I don't know at what point in sort of this uh, this deal it became official, if they signed something or if they gave verbal consent. They are selling their sh- shares to Michelle Kang. Michelle Kang is going to be the majority owner of the Washington Spirit going forward effective, it seems like Im- immediately. Um, and the team is now working on reinstating governance on the board of directors. They're like trying to get back into business as usual. Jason thoughts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, as always, it's been a lot. Um, I, I think the, the interesting thing this week was that the, the players were told this as a surprise mm-hmm. by, by Kang and Lynch or not Kang Lynch, Kang and Baldwin. Um, I don't, I don't believe Bill Lynch was, was present at this thing. No one mentioned him anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to open training at Thursday or on Thursday at, um, at the facility they're using because uh, a mid Atlantic winter is not pleasant. Um, and apparently there were more people there. This is from speaking to uh, Tara Mickeone and Karina Rodriguez after training. There were a few more people there than normal. Uh, and the players were like, I wonder why all these people were here. Um, that's a little weird that, that this many uh, front office people are here. And then, they started to figure it out as the, as the session was winding down. Um, I, I get the impression that they may be spotted one or both uh, uh, of Kang and Baldwin. And there was just a, apparently a not particularly lengthy uh, chat about what was going to happen. Uh, and then, you know, the weird thing is that the players for the national team then immediately had to bounce right. uh, to, head, to head to that camp, um, which is a, uh, it was a, it was an interesting time to go talk because normally, as I'm sure everyone's probably noticed, when spirit ownership stuff comes up, you tend to have uh, Andy Sullivan, Aubrey Kingsbury, uh, Tori Huster. They've tended to be the players that are speaking to the media about it. Um, and the players have also mentioned Kelly O'Hara as a um, as a driving force in a lot of these things. Um, but all of them are either away with the national team or in Tori Huster's case are rehabbing an injury. So they're not really doing a ton of media. Um, I guess this is my most professional content doer thing that I've done in a long time, but I've, I've got uh, Tori on my podcast that I've got to produce literally later today. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, you can hear her thoughts on that, but like, that's kind of more of a CBA chat than an ownership chat. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like everyone's still in the sort of like, okay, what does this mean for us now? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of the story of the spirit is like these news things drop. People are as in a lot of the times people have been as surprised 
the players have been as surprised by the news as everyone else has because they are often not finding out a ton. Um, this is one of their several grievances with Steve Baldwin was that they were coming off the training field, looking at their phone and finding out some new thing had happened that they were like, well, what is this? I, why could no one even just give us the courtesy of telling us? Right. Um, and yeah. so this is, it's one more thing for them. They're like, okay, what, what now? What, what's right. the new thing? Yeah. It's kind of a funny, it's a funny mental picture, right. Of, of Baldwin and Kang coming to practice to make this announcement. Um, especially because you noted this on Twitter and I do think it's worth highlighting. Um, there are a lot of different pieces that led to this happening and to be completely honest, and, and this is as we're seeing in some other entrenched ownership in the league, it's unusual what has occurred here. It's unusual that, uh, Baldwin was encouraged to sell and agreed to do so. It's unusual that players put a statement out with a preferred mm-hmm. owner. That is very unusual. And the fact that this all kind of got got done despite indications that it was sort of against Baldwin's bigger wishes, also unusual. Mm-hmm. And so it is a paint a funny picture of this announcement being made. <laughs> ideas of like, I wonder what it was like in the room in that moment the looks on players faces where they had like, <laughs> was there a cheer, you know, like it's kind of this funny thing because players did make known that they wanted Kang to be the owner. Um, and I, you've mentioned this and I want you to maybe elaborate on this a little bit, but w- we've talked about the different pieces that have led to this occurring, right? There was the investigation into how Richie Burke's uh, resignation was handled or non resignation, right? Um, mm-hmm there was the statement made by players. There have been concerted efforts by fans to let their wishes know, be known. Um, so talk a little bit from you now that we're sort of moving into this next era, you really highlighted that you do think it was the player's statement that had a huge mm-hmm. influence on this. Does that still seem how you feel? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think that that's the kind of thing that maybe broke through with Baldwin more than other things. Um, I think um, fan outcry, I don't know that he ever would have, you know, that that also became personal. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I don't think he was going to listen to that too much. Um, It didn't seem like the league was particularly pushing extremely hard for one resolution or the other. They just wanted a resolution. Right. Um, So I don't know that they were necessarily pushing super hard. Um, Obviously the investor stuff is probably where this all really played out, Mm -hmm. but I don't know that those investors break ranks with him um, and put enough support behind Michelle Kang that she could pull off the maneuver she pulled off to get, um, effectively get enough people to say that they would support her where she had more of the we've we've been through this it's a that's a whole podcast episode yeah right she's itself. yeah the the boardroom maneuvering yes that's yes. another element here for sure but yeah. you do it but if you're this is my this is my takeaway i think is if you're in a, a micro investor in a in a team and this is just an impression that i've gotten and it's not just a washington impression but throughout whether it's like la or chicago or any other team that has brought in in investment, not necessarily co-ownership, right? Those people only know so much about what's going on with the team. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody follows an investment as closely as we are following the NWSL, right? right? And so it seems to me like if you are an investor who cares very much about the players, cares about the team, cares about your investment, the players saying, we trust Michelle, 
would be a sticking point there, right? Where you go, oh, well, the players know better than everybody what's going on here. I'm going to side with them. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, that, yeah. that seems to me like that was a, a, a cause and effect for right. the amount of support Kang was able to get in within the investor group, right? Yeah, it definitely, you know, my impression is that it opened some eyes mm-hmm. um, to maybe getting some people to be like, okay, I need to actually figure out what's happening here. Again, Whereas yeah. before I was kind of at a distance um, at a, a substantial remove, right. um, you know, the spirit pretty famously went and got um, mostly DC power broker types. And those people pretty notoriously have other things on their plate. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of them were at enough of a remove that where maybe they weren't talking amongst each other. Uh, maybe they weren't really, they, they knew things were bad, um, you know, months ago, but they didn't know exactly how to fix it. Um, maybe they didn't feel like there was an, av- an avenue to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the player statement, I think, gets that ball rolling in a way and, and hits people in a way that it probably wouldn't have happened or at least wouldn't have happened by now, certainly mm-hmm. um, without that. Um, and as much as there are many other, many, many other factors uh, that ended, ended up getting to this point, I do think that um, it's ultimately kind of this unique American sports thing where uh, these players did on a, to a measurable impact, change this thing um, mm-hmm. in a way that we don't have a good comparison for uh, in pro sports. We've had, you know, you hear about a team maybe firing a coach because the player, they've lost the locker room or whatever, but that the owner stays in place. The owner never goes away. Um, right. No matter how unhappy the players are, that the players just leave is what usually happens. Um, and so the players were unhappy in this case. And now the owner is gone and almost all of the players are here. And the ones that are gone were gone in a normal NWSL off season with its various uh, trades and mechanisms for players to be uh, moved on. But um, yeah, this is kind of a kind of new territory. Um, and maybe the league needed this because we've certainly got some other ownership situations that could use uh, to some degree uh, people changing heart and maybe coming to a realization uh, right. that they need to pay closer attention to what they're doing and be more able to uh, be a steward of these things because ultimately that's that's what it is. Um, that's that's the job of the owner. And if it takes, uh, you know, a team of players banding together like this to to bring that to people's attention, then, you know, maybe some other teams uh, are going to take that as an example, because right. what happened in Washington is it's unique. It's kind of astounding um, in its way that it worked out the way it did um, right up to the end, because, like I said, I, I don't think players expected it to be done at the day it was done, certainly. Um, I think they thought that today was going to be, we're doing this, we're doing that. We have to go lift. We have to eat lunch. Um, They've got that, all that stuff is all set up in like a loop over at that massive uh, shopping mall sized uh, training facility that they're, that they're in the middle of. Um, The irony here being also that, that, that place is the St. James, which was involved in the other bid to buy the team. It just, the the strangeness never ends. Um, But, at least in this particular instance, the player power side of it, I think, ended in the way that it needed to end. The league, I think, needed this to come out the way it did as much as the I don't mean the league wanted um, the, the right. actual people behind the league. I mean, like the concept of the league, they needed this to end in a way where um, this team didn't have this 
carrying on in the way it was because it was untenable. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I agreed. The Saint, the, yeah, the irony of the St. James is, is interesting to me, even just pulling whatever emotions of the process out of it. Right. Because now, mm. now Washington has a new majority owner. It's another independent owner. Right. So the Washington spirit are going to remain independent. Even, you know, mm. the, the Bailey bid was independent, but they, they have a number of other sports teams. It would yeah. be entering a portfolio of a number of different professional sports teams. Um, so now I think we this is a this is interesting to me because now maybe we see Washington move into this era that is maybe akin to Kansas City where we we know that the money is there. Right. And mm-hmm. the interest is there. And now it's a matter of Kang deciding how involved even she wants to be. She had to get mm-hmm. very involved in order to to do this ownership change. And she did that because, as we know, she had concerns about the way the club was being run when she came in. Um, but now, I mean, I don't know, maybe you have some insight on this. You know, there's Ben Olsen, right? Mm-hmm. He was brought in by Baldwin. Um, frequently when there are ownership changes, you do see staff shakeups, right? Not mm-hmm. necessarily. I don't think coach, I think everyone's very happy with Chris Ward, but you might see some front office changes or you might see some um, organizational infrastructure changes some investments in different ways i mean maybe talk a little bit about whether you anticipate that and then there's also the dc united side of this right where Mm. do you think that this will improve the relationship with dc united possibly uh i guess i should start with that one i think that's an unequivocal yes okay um i in covering both of these teams out here the impression the very strong impression i've had is that DC United and Steve Baldwin was not going to be a fruitful relationship. Yeah. Um, the people at DC United that had to make decisions were ultimately, it was oil and water um, mm-hmm. pretty quickly. Um, I got the impression that there were a lot of times where they would have a talk about something and then one side would present it in a way that the other side was like, that's not what we agreed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't like people were saying this is 100% going to happen. It was just sort of letting outsiders have the impression and giving off the perception of one thing or another. And there was a lot of that going on. Um, So yeah, that is a big piece of the puzzle here because much like the St. James, much like all of the infrastructure, um, the spirit do not have a place to play. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Ward, when asked about the ownership change after training, the first thing, first sentence uh, he brings up the fact that now they have a new shift in their focus away from soccer, which is just, the team needs a home. Um, And that means all of the thing, all of the things you're thinking of, that means um, where are they going to play their games? Where are they going to practice? Where is the office? Um, Mm -hmm. Where is all of this stuff? Because none of those things are permanent right now. Um, I've been told that there are some team employees that haven't, uh, that are new hires that haven't come to the area yet because it was a matter of if, Baldwin continues owning the team. The team center of gravity is going to be in one place. Mm. And if Kang buys it, it's going to be in another place. So, you know, in this region, you don't want to live so far out, out by Segra field, for example, if you, um, and I think this happened with um, a couple of players that lived out that, or last year, most of the players lived out in that direction. Mm -hmm. And then it ended up being that more of their activities were closer to DC and that commute is a nightmare. Um, you wouldn't want to do that to yourself at all. So, um, the, yeah, this this is still the ongoing thing. What's what is Kang going to do with that side of it? She has said 
uh, that not only was she going to value the club at 35 million, um, but that she was planning on, uh, I think it was up to 25 million in additional infrastructure, which mm-hmm. is not defined at this point, but right. the team has not, they, they had a sort of verbal, like, yeah, it makes sense for us to play at DC United's training facility, which is right next to Segra field mm. um, and is way out there. Um, if anything is slightly further, it's, it's one step further away from DC than, than Segra field is it's to the other side of it. Um, but they haven't trained there yet uh, because effectively the ownership situation was com- was complicating that side. They couldn't yeah. DC United wanted a contract sign saying like, you're going to be here for X amount of time and th- using this part of the facility. And they wanted the details all set in stone and, and written out. And the spirit weren't in a position to do that because who owns the team right. um, had to be settled before they could do any of that. Um, I think there is also, it's fair to say, uh, a feeling on the spirit side that they haven't been 100% fully respected uh, by DC United. Um, when they moved over to uh, Episcopal High School in suburban Virginia, which is, uh, it sounds, uh, I think I've said this before, it sounds you know, not so great because it's a high school, but then you go over there and it's like, you know, this is a high school for the 1%. Um, The facilities are outrageous for a high school. Um, They feel welcome over there. Um, And that's not a small thing at this point. Well, it's, that's, it's, it's an interest. Well, it's just kind of the reality of it. Right. And I think that this is something that uh, I've seen players say, even about the CBA is that Mm -hmm. you, you do get these wins, right? You get the CBA ratified, you get ownership taken care of. For the spirit but that's like step one yes <laughs> and then there's a it's just there's always going to be more stuff to do and i i think that from my this is an outsider's perspective but watching that relationship with dc united and even just the segra field of it all they're still going to be playing there this year mm-hmm. the players have been very open about how hard that is on their bodies it's not close to audi field it's it's basically a you know a suburban situation um the relationship with DC United is not going to be immediately fixed by right. Kang taking over. And DC United still has their own interests that they are trying to advance in their relationship with the spirit. And they don't own the spirit, right? It's not right. a DC United team. And so I'm interested in, or and hopeful, right? That, that this sort of surge in this ownership change can actually get some stuff done quickly that maybe otherwise would not get done quickly. But mm-hmm. um there's just still, like you said, there's just steps still to take mm-hmm. for for the spirit to truly become. And again, this is where it's interesting as an independent team become really, truly the DC team. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so I guess maybe that's the next question, which is. We're moving into year three of Segra, right? They announced Segra before the yeah. pandemic. Right. And yes. then that got all messed up. But then now Mm. in 2021, they did the split time and then they're planning on split time again this year. Mm. Um, As someone who covers DC United, do you think that's something that DC United will be interested in dragging out? Or do you think we might see uh, like we saw the breakthrough in Seattle, right? With Lumen field, finally the rain are going to be using the same facility as the sounders. Do you think we might see that for the spirit sometime soon? Uh, I hope so, but I, I don't know. In part because it's kind of a black box as far as what what motivates DC United to have the Spirit play at Segra, um, and that is kind of an unknown. Um, the 
United hasn't really talked about their thoughts on this whole thing. It's just sort of a thing that happens um, and, and you only get the action and you don't get the rationale. Um, I will say that this issue might help, might be alleviated to some extent. Um, I believe the Washington Post reported that uh, Jason Levy and the one of DC United's owners has been approached about buying some portion of the spirit, um, which I think would probably be a big deal. Um, it immediately uh, alleviates the issue of will the spirit train at the training facility or not? Will they feel like part of the team, for lack of a better way to put it? Um, I think that would take a kick because Jason Levian isn't just a guy that owns a portion of DC United. He is the day-to-day um if you go to ownership, quote unquote, you're going to him. If you're working at DC United, that's who you're going to. Um, that's the person that knows the the on the ground situation the best. Um, so if you get him involved in the spirit ownership group, um, and it, it by all accounts he works well uh, with with Michelle Kang. There's a there's a mutual respect there. Um, that starts to alleviate this thing. It still doesn't clarify to me why why DC United wants them to play at Segra other than to fill dates um, right. because it's not suitable. I, I think DC United also needs to just, that needs to be a better facility period. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have a B team that plays in the USL championship um, that also has to play on that surface and it's not conducive for them either. Right. Um, and there are other, you know, more minor issues with that stadium, but the main thing that affects the game, the game experience is just that, it's it's a turf field that everyone I've talked to has described as strange. It's right. new. It's not like they bought aged aged turf and brought it and brought it in. They brought a new kind of turf, but it doesn't play the way it's supposed to. It doesn't have a sprinkler system where you can wet it down and at least it sort of uh, improves a little bit. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's not a well reviewed venue to play soccer on. Um, so I, I I think the next step for the spirit is has part of it has to be to get back to Chris Ward's quote about them needing to find a permanent home does need to be to find a way in which they're just at Audi field. Um, it's where the people are. Um, it is on, you know, public transportation in a way that Segra is absolutely not. Right. Um, it took away the boat. Did they bring the boat back? Is there still uh, a boat? Okay. So there, there's this, uh, ferry, (laughs) um, for, for listeners that aren't, that haven't seen me complain about this on Twitter. (laughs) Um, there's a ferry across the Potomac river that, um, and this is the Northern it's North of the city. It it goes under DC and comes up, um, the Virginia side. Um, and there's a ferry from Maryland, the Maryland side to the Virginia side that gets you all of like seven minutes from Segra field. Mm -hmm. And it's a much, it's much easier to go that way. Um, like, like on a mental level, it's just, you don't have to risk your life on the beltway um and there's a dispute it's a very complicated dispute over whether there's like a landing area that's allowed or not right that's um, owned by the city or not so is the boat still yeah, out of commission is still, this the official word still, on the boat no yeah, it's still out of commission because of this uh legal the legal wrangling over whether this area that it was landing at is allowed right. to be the landing place or not so, so to sum up the team should hopefully not be playing in a place where the ability to get there hinges on a boat um, yes, uh, yes, it would be great to not yeah. have to get on a ferry named after a Confederate general. Oh boy, um, to get to uh, yeah. spirit games. I, um, I personally would prefer a different situation. Well, and the, I mean the the investment element makes perfect sense, right? If you give now that now that Michelle Kang, because she would have 
like if she's buying all of these shares, she has 100% ownership, right? Outside of the debt, the equity, the debt equity that got converted by, by other people, right? Like she is a, she has a lot of equity to work with is maybe my point. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's 100%, but okay. uh, she is, um, I think it's a decisive, um, a decisive majority ownership. You know, but there's you buy... room, there's room to yes. sell equity to somebody else and oh, still yeah, have absolutely. her comfortably be the the managing owner. Um, yeah. And I think that that, right. So make it, give someone some skin in the game, make it worth their while to want the spirit to be as profitable as possible. And it's mm-hmm. obvious to everybody where that would be. And that would be Audi field. Um, so yeah, I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. So let's, let's pivot over a little bit um, to, it seems like the spirit, they, like I said, they have work to do, right? But it's at least a next step into what's going to be a pivotal, pivotal couple of years for the league, right? You know, this is the season before the World Cup. Next year is going to be the season during the World Cup. Um, the spirit are in pole position to have a lot of players on this U.S. bubble, right? They mm-hmm. have done quite well for themselves there. Um, we have some other teams where it's a little bit less clear what's going on. We, uh, Arnhem Whistler in Chicago sort of ended his, his public silence this week with an open letter that was released to the public on Thursday. Mm -hmm. And then Friday, he made himself available to some journalists, certainly local Chicago, both Chicago papers ran interviews with Whistler, which I think is the most, that that's important that, that the local papers get that access um but it seems like this was after another piece in the washington post about former manager rory dames this was not this the the that uh piece is it's it's devastating but it is about youth soccer and and i Mm. think sort of intentionally the post does not try to connect chicago to this exactly it's sort of fo- focused on those those people that spoke out focused on their stories focused on Rory James uh alleged sexual misconduct in the youth scene however mm. obviously that opens up a ton of questions about yes. about Chicago and what we heard from Whistler in the open letter was similar to some of the stuff we saw when it was just signed by the Chicago Red Stars where they say that they've changed their infrastructure they've changed some organizational infrastructure they've uh changed the what players are involved uh in in processes hr has mentioned basically Mm -hmm. just saying you know the reason why arnhem should continue to own the team is because now there is an infrastructure in place where it's not just about him right and it's Mm -hmm. not just about the coach and then in his availability, we got some more news about some of the backstory in ways that I think people were not super satisfied with, um, you know, pieces of news like that. And I wish I could say this surprised me, but it, it doesn't, you know, that Rory Dames did not have a background check when he was hired 10 years ago for the mm-hmm. Chicago Red Stars. Uh, Arnhem refers to him as a volunteer, um, just sort of a glimpse into just how small that organization was 10 years ago and how that was allowed to continue. Um, after 2018, Whistler was made known of the investigation by U.S. Soccer that was talked about in the original Washington Post story. Uh, he basically said that he was not given a recommendation to terminate 
Gaines's position and therefore he didn't. So he kind of passed the buck to us soccer on that one. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything, anything else really significant in there. Nothing other than just that Whistler intends to keep on. He, Mm -hmm. he basically said, you know, I still feel like I'm the right person to run this team and I have not gotten, there was a little bit as well of not getting enough fit quote unquote, like sufficient interest in a new buyer to make him feel like he should be pursuing that. Mm. Um, we saw another really awful story out of Portland this week. Right. And this was not on the thorn side. This was on the timber side, but it was another issue of, of within the year, the calendar year of 2021, the timbers organization being aware of misconduct by a player and choosing not to terminate that player. Uh, as it seems, I, I want to be clear that I, I don't know every single detail here, but as it seems against the witches of the person who was uh, affected by a domestic violence incident. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where we go back to the Steve Baldwin situation being unique because ultimately like what can be done. Right. Right. Is there anything that can be done here, Jason? <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I, I wonder because, um, much like the early days with Baldwin, it sounds like with, with Arnon Whistler that his position is that he doesn't want to go and right. shouldn't go. So therefore he's not going to go. Right. Um, and it seems there are at least a couple of, um, I think there are a couple tweets from various red stars, um, owners that have very small shares who are mm-hmm. like, I'm not happy with what I'm allowed to do here. Cause I, right. I would like to do a lot more and I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably by design. Um, I think that there, uh, I don't know when it would have started, but I'm sure that there's been a push in NWSL for the Chicago situation to, um, at the very least get, uh, deeper pockets, um, yeah. over, over years and years. Um, and now it's become not just that the team just needs someone with more money, uh, supporting it, but also, you know, like you said, uh, he hired their head coach without doing a background check because, yeah. oh, well, he's a volunteer. It's like, well, he's the head coach though. Right. Um, and was, so- and was for a very long time. Right. Yeah. Th- this yeah. isn't someone guiding people on the concourse, uh, right. to where to, where to get ice cream, um, or, you know, setting out, uh, chairs for, you know, youth teams to, to sit in for a little, um, you know, impromptu player speech or whatever, um, that teams do all this community stuff. Those are small roles. This is the big, this is the big role. This is the person that can affect people's careers and, and life in such a deep way. Um, so that's the kind of thing where it's like, not only is it a financial concern for Chicago going forward, can they, uh, compete and and meet the standards in a league that where the standards are having to be raised quite rapidly. Um, But also is there the willingness to say like, you know, I've made enough mistakes in big moments where it's clear that I'm not cut out for this. Right. Um, Or, or just, I do think the, the kindest thing I can say here is I think within years and years and years of, industry standards that were very low mm-hmm. that can warp your thinking you yes. know and it, it can absolutely affect a, a person's mentality and that's another reason why maybe a person should step back is mm-hmm. yeah you you did treat your head coach like a volunteer because at the time that made sense to you um 
And then now, however many years later, that's completely unacceptable, right? Right. And and well, it was pretty much unacceptable then, but we have to understand that we were working, people were working oh, with very little 10 yeah. years ago. Um, yeah. But, and so this, this idea that the same people who have fallen into these patterns of thinking that have been hurtful and allowed hurt to occur to be able to radically change over the course of six months, it, it just doesn't seem realistic, right? That's right. that's where it just seems to kind of fly in the face of reality. Mm. Um, and I think you see a similar thing. And I think you're right that it does go hand in hand. And if there is any push, you would actually think it would be in Chicago and not in Portland because mm-hmm. the thing with Portland has always been he's got the money, right? Yes. He's got the money and he cares. And, and that has been good enough for a long time. Um, with Chicago, I mean, I think you just sort of have to even look at on the field. Chicago's off season has been mm-hmm. quite poor. Um, yeah. And so you worry at this point, if you know, we t- we've been talking about this for years about the, att- the money attrition that you're going to mm-hmm. see from some of these independent clubs and wash, you know, Washington just figured that out, right? Kansas city has owners with much deeper pockets than Chicago has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the idea of, the parody rules propping up teams that don't have the same resources, that sort of stuff. Mm. It's going away. It, it's going to be incremental, but it's absolutely going away. And so it does seem like this situation in Chicago, at the very least, is unsustainable, right? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is a situation where um, over the years, and and you'll know this better than I am, but from afar, it seemed like, part of the issue in Chicago has been that Arnhem seems to, I I think out of a genuine um, it's a, it's a misread, but I think he's, he's being genuine in his intentions Mm -hmm. is this idea of, I would be willing to sell if I found the right person, but the standard that's in his head for what that person can do Mm. is basically just do exactly what he would do just with a lot more money. Right. Um, but you're not going to find that person because every single person is different. It's a basic right. you know, yes. thing you learn as a child. Right. Um, and, you know, they added the owners that they added. Um, mm-hmm. They diversified their ownership group quite a bit, um, but they're all on the same. I, I, I imagine it's not the same exact deal structure, which is what came back to haunt Baldwin with the spirit. Right. Um, and maybe Arnhem's uh, the proposed ownership you know, purchases that these other people made aren't convertible in the way that the spirits were eventually were, right, right. Um, which was a whole, again, I don't want to derail us by getting into the, the weeds on the concept of that. Cause I also don't fully understand it still. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the I would Chicago- say here, let me just say, maybe, maybe what I would say is that if Whistler had a mechanism to no longer be managing own be managing owner. I do not think that we would have seen the week that we just saw. That is a person who is secure in their management of the team. 100%. Yes. Yeah. And it also, it seems like with, with some of the, the, the people that I mentioned that the owners that have tweeted out dissatisfaction, yeah. I think those are people that do want to change the ownership of the Chicago red stars and they can't. Right. Um, right. They've tried, they've looked into it and they've figured out like, it's not, going to work the way that we have to find some other we can't go through the avenues that we have that exist already right um and it does certainly the, fr- like, the frustration would indicate that right that, yeah. yeah 
They feel and, tied to something that they don't necessarily have the influence over that maybe they were promised. Yes. Yeah, right. And and, yeah. and when you look at the way those you you mentioned those interviews in the uh, Chicago newspapers, um, both of them come off in the end with with a, a little bit of a a defiant note from from Arnim, where he's yeah. kind of like I. I I feel like one day I won't be the owner, but I don't think that time has arrived yet. Yeah. Um, and to which I, I mean, my first, I, I have to say, I read some of this stuck in a like non-moving traffic jam coming from the spirit <laughs> so training just, session. So it was so very surreal race. to, yeah. to immediately talk to the spirit players about their ownership situation, right. drive 10 minutes and then just be parked on a highway um, and reading some of this stuff as it was coming out. But you know, the thing I would say is like, if not, if not after what's happened to Chicago, when is the time? Right. What else has to happen for this to be to for it to dawn on everyone that this is the time to make a change? Right. Because it seems to me like we're well past that point as is. Yeah. Um, and what you know, what else can happen? It can only get worse, I feel like. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, people know that this is my this is my home base i'm based in chicago and i will i'm not going to pretend that i don't care about the club because i started this as a fan Mm -hmm. but um this to me looks like a situation where the league through inaction and and this is similar to the tack that they took with washington though this never became a danger in washington Mm -hmm. but what i'm looking at is having watched the history of this league it seems to me like if the red stars had stopped operating mm-hmm. that's on the table it feels like it feels like the league will allow that to happen if that is what if if the if the team cannot match standards right and right. if because we now have written in we have standards written in to a, a ratified collective bargaining agreement and i think if you have an owner that maybe can't reach those standards that also refuses to sell what happens next? Mm-hmm. There's just no team. Right. And that would be awful. Mm-hmm. But that is also one way <laughs> that you get ownership out of the league, it's, you know? <laughs> and it's it's that severe of a situation. Yeah. Um, where and, and we've seen this before where um Deloy Hansen was eventually removed, but that was a sort of a joint yeah. MLS, NWSL, and and to some extent USL um move to get him out but it was mostly mls and the result of it wasn't that the utah royals exchanged hands and and continued playing they moved um that you know utah fans do not have a team right now right um so yeah the 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 situation in nwsl they can't the reason mls kept real salt lake alive was that they literally took controlling ownership um the the league ran that team effectively um and NWSL isn't in a position to do that. The right. the league itself doesn't have the the finances to carry another team in right. that way. Um, and so that would be, you know, if, if it came down to it, if they said there's we have to remove an owner, um, it Sometimes is one of the it's one of the, one of the only things it. that's there. And yeah. it would be, you know, when you think of the Red Stars, they're not just an NWSL team. No. Um, that the history that's there is uh, you know pretty rare in the women's game in the, yeah. the US. So them and um, them and Gotham and, and I guess the, the spirit kind of as well. But yeah, they're uh some of the they've made it this far, right? Yeah. Um you know, and it, you know everything that we're saying the the interesting thing about this too is 
this whole conversation that we're having, I think Whistler, I think that the club would contest. I think that, sure. and that is an interesting place to be as well, which is we are kind of reacting to this based on what we see. Um, mm-hmm. But the story that we're getting from club leadership is very different. And so it's one of those, we've talked about this a million times this year. You're on the outside. You say, this seems bad. Right. <laughs> You're told, no, it's not bad. And then maybe later you find out that, oh, it is actually bad. Chicago still doesn't have a coach, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, with every day that passes, I think it gets less and less likely that they're going to have a new manager, um, this year. Um, Which, they do what, have a new a associate of... general manager, but that is someone who was already with the club. It wasn't an outside hire, not saying that right. it should have been. Cause I think Michelle Lomnicki is great, but they had one, they had one player come in and it was Yuki Nagasato. And that was a personal move. It's just, it's not good in Chicago right now, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, what, what signs of a healthy organization uh, can't, can't get a coach signed having had the whole off season, can't right. get that settled one way or another. Um, the title associate GM right. is strange. Yeah. Given that everyone else just hires a general a manager. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, having it, having that title is strange, especially in the fact that, when Rory Dames left that that was a coach GM right. uh, dual role. So you don't have a coach and you have an associate GM, but not a GM. Right. Um, those to speak to us being on the outside and saying like this, this doesn't look good. Um, it's kind of like if you're, if your roommate is making dinner and like the smoke detector is going off right? and you're upstairs and you're like yelling downstairs, like, Hey, do I need to like run out the door? Is the house on fire? And they're like, no, everything's fine. Yeah. It's good. Like, oh. Yeah. I yeah, smell right. smoke. I hear the fire detector or the smoke right. detector. I feel like things are not fine down there. And they're like, no, 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 don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, at a certain right. point, you have to assume that they are trying to tell you to calm down, but they're not going to solve the problem that's emerged for themselves. Right. Yes. So I don't, and, and, and the final, maybe the final thought on this is I think not unlike the situation with the spirit, this is going to be ongoing. I think that mm-hmm. obviously Chicago is, they're preparing for the challenge cup. They have a core group of players that are really, really good and through their own leadership can probably make sure that the team is not bad. I'm not even expecting Chicago to be, if they play with the same style that they played last year, I think they could do that all day, every day for, Mm -hmm. with this core group. I don't think that that's going to be a problem. Um, I, and then it's just a matter of what comes next. And I think that that's the concern, right? Is that, when you have situations like this and you don't see the material change, you're just waiting for the next bad thing. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is where a lot of fans are very concerned. Right. Um, I know I'm sure that other owners are not thrilled about it, even within the organization or outside of the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can say that that's where I'm at with it as well, which is that you're just afraid that, Oh God, what's the next rumor that you hear or the next right. thing coming out of the organization that maybe isn't official, but sounds really bad. And so I think that that is, is where Chicago is stuck and I'll finish it with this. It makes it very hard to talk about them as a soccer team. And I think that this is another thing that we don't see being understood. We saw this issue with the spirit, right? Yeah, very, and the spirit familiar. kind of broke through by winning everything, but yes, it's really hard to do basic soccer coverage of Who's your starting goalkeeper? What's your midfield uh, formation going to be like? Who's going to be the primary um, target up front? Mm -hmm. When you have this organizational 
um, kind of code of silence about everything else. And I'm not saying that the soccer analysis is more important, but we say all the time that you need to be analyzing women's sports like their sports. You can't do that when the team hasn't held a press conference since when they were, since Morgan Gatra was literally in Louisville trying to process a championship loss. Mm -hmm. And this is another element of the league needs the red stars to act like a professional sports team. And we're not getting that right now. (laughs) And so (laughs) that's where we're at, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we're laughing because you kind of, it's like, what else can you do? Right. Um, when your brain gets short circuited by something, you kind of laugh as a reaction and that's, that's what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll actually, you know what, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to do this. We'll take a quick break. Um, I'll do uh, our, our producer, Jack on the solid. We will actually take a break and then we'll be back to talk a little bit of uh, more, more ranting. I, I'm calling myself an anti, but it's kind of a joke. Uh, Challenge cup, challenge cup schedule came out and we'll chat about that after the break. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. Since I did take the break, I'll do the thing that I do after the break, which is ask you to rate and review. Give us five stars. Say something nice that helps people find us uh, as we continue to try to make sense of a lot of different stuff going on in NWSL and everywhere else. So we did get there was some maybe the most positive piece of news this week is is the formation of what will become competition in NWSL. Uh, this this year, we got the framework, the schedule for the Challenge Cup. Um, just to sort of break it down, 22 NWSL Challenge Cup will feature three regional groups of four teams. East region is Gotham, North Carolina, Orlando, and Washington. Central will be Chicago, Houston, Kansas City, and Louisville. West will be Angel City, OL Rain, Portland Thorns, and San Diego Wave. Um, it'll be a double round robin set of matches which will move into a semifinal round and the NWSL challenge cup final on Saturday, May 7th. That's going to probably end up being kind of funny. Cause yes, that means three first place teams and one second place team. <laughs> and we'll find out who that lucky second place team is going to be. So we have the challenge cup final on May 7th. Now the semifinals are not a week before they right. are not the weekend before they mm-hmm. are the Wednesday before. So mm-hmm. if you are so lucky as to make it to the quote unquote playoffs of the challenge cup, you are going to be playing a semifinal the Wednesday following the last weekend of group play. You'll be playing a final the Saturday after that. While the rest of the clubs are starting the regular season. Yes. <laughs> so Jason. And, and, yeah. Do you want to win the challenge cup? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know um, <laughs> because it's such a bizarre thing. Cause it's also that semifinal is you try and get teams set into like the rhythm of the season. Yeah. But then the challenge cup ends on a Sunday, April 24th. And then you don't play the next weekend. You play 10 days later. Yeah. Um, so you're not in the rhythm of a season going in and then coming out the, that Saturday, the league of, of teams were apparently planning on playing regular season games that Saturday. Right. And if you make the championship, you may have to reschedule your game on extremely short notice, yep. um, which is a nightmare for your ticketing departments, for your marketing budget. Um, these are the, uh, possibly home openers. These are big, big games to market to your fan base. Right. It might have to change because of the outcome of a Wednesday game um, yeah. that you may or may not qualify for. Right. Um, I 
do not understand the thought process that would have led to this from from anyone any team i can't imagine any team is like oh good this is this is great for us um this is what we want um you know i i'm sure there are certain teams who get that hyper competitive mentality where they're like we're we're in a competition we want to win that's right. that but organizationally i feel like there are a lot of teams that would be like it would be very much like it's okay that we didn't win the challenge cup this year yeah i mean i think it's it's that's it's a good it's a good encapsulation of both sides right which is if the challenge cup is going to exist it has to matter like i think everybody agrees on that like top to bottom if there's going to be a challenge cup it's not good if people don't care about it It, you Mm -hmm. have to care about it they're they're not incentivized through this schedule to care about it it's like you said right so maybe you qualify for the semifinal. You have 10 days to sell that if you're the home team for a semifinal. Mm -hmm. If you win that semifinal, congratulations, you're going to the Challenge Cup final. If you lose that semifinal, are you playing your regular season opener (laughs) that same weekend? Do you know? Maybe you don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's It's kind of a logistical nightmare, right? And what it could do is it could end up being an issue for the teams that lose in the semifinal, it could totally mess up their opening weekend. Or maybe mm-hmm. those teams still don't play that weekend. Regular season opening weekend is a bit weird because it's shorthanded and then you have the Challenge Cup final. And then mm-hmm. you have um, four teams that have to reschedule games later in the season, probably on short rest or during an international break. It, mm-hmm. it just seems like a lot of maneuvering for something that really only matters if you win it and if you don't, you maybe went through a lot of, you jumped through a lot of hoops for something that, yeah, you know, maybe you get to showcase your depth, you get to get a run in, that sort of a thing. Um, I don't think we really saw a huge Challenge Cup bump from for either Portland or, or Gotham last year, right? I think right. Gotham, um, I don't think that those teams, I don't think their season trajectory was influenced a ton by the short. They also had a short rest situation going into that challenge cup final. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say this is, a, this is just me. I think that with that concept of, of Portland winning the challenge cup final and then getting bounced in the semifinals of the regular season playoffs, I can certainly say, which to me seemed like a bigger deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as it should be. I think that there is a a healthy sense of no, the regular season is, is real. That is what is, that is what we are here to do. Um, So maybe we just have to start with the logic behind making the challenge cup a preseason tournament again. Mm -hmm. I assume it's because they don't have enough spots in the calendar this year to fit it in. Um, just in that they're probably, I mean, we don't have the regular season schedule out, but they're probably going to have to take a bit of a break for CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers, right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe they just don't feel like they can fit Challenge Cup in. But I would, I guess maybe the flip side of that is I don't think they're doing a great job of filling, of, of fitting Challenge Cup in now. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, Jason. So maybe let's let's go back to the philosophical question of, mm-hmm if the challenge cup is a preseason tournament that you're not really incentivized to make it to the later stages of, should it exist? Yeah. I, I really do wonder that because I, I found myself describing it as like, it's stuck in the purgatory between being just absolutely preseason and being something of note. Um, I don't get the vibe that teams are, partic- I, I don't think there's any team that's from a competitive perspective 
um, happy with it in a way where they're like, let's go, let's go all out and win this thing. Um, it's seven weeks. Uh, I was thinking it was six weeks. And as you were, as you were finishing up, I pulled up a calendar and I was like, no, it's, it's seven. Um, the, the full thing is seven weeks long after the preseason, um, which is six weeks long. It's so, a, I will say I'm shocked. It's a double round Robin to be completely yes. honest. I'm like, they're playing each other twice. <laughs> yes. It's, it's such a long time and yeah. you're going to get um, on one hand, it's probably very good for players who are not going to play a lot in the regular right. season. Right. It's great for them. Um, it's great to evaluate these players going forward, which is important because in one of the CBA things that's come out is just the idea of teams are on the hook for if they decide to waive a player, they're now on, they don't just say like, well, goodbye, get out, uh, leave your apartment. Um, They're on the hook financially. So they have an incentive to develop players that wasn't there before. And this is the place that they're probably going to, for a lot of those players that are, this is where they're going to figure out what to do with those players um, in a way that they couldn't, they can't during the regular season. So that's a, a plus, but that doesn't make it a good competition. Um, It's, you know, it's at a point in the year that, teams aren't really yet themselves. Um, I don't know everyone else's preseason schedule. I know the spirit are planning on playing three preseason games before the challenge cup. Hopefully, Um, hopefully a more comprehensive preseason than we got last year. Like I am hopeful that I know everyone really struggled to find preseason competition last year because we were pre vaccine. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that was a a difficult, and I think that's part of why some of the challenge cup games were a little bit rough is because people really didn't get a chance to play, but I am hopeful that will be, slightly improved this year um Mm -hmm. well and i think the other issue for me and this is as someone who watches pretty much all of the games um is i do think it dilutes the product a little bit to have teams play other regional teams twice before the regular season starts i remember last year um chicago had played kansas city maybe like four times before they played orlando once Yes. And it's that kind of a thing where what it does is it sets up your lopsided regular season schedule where you start to get matchup fatigue. And I think that that's a, a thing that you do have to manage in a small league, obviously a much bigger league than it was last year. 10 to 12 is a big jump. But when you do have these teams play each other twice in games that may or may not matter, it changes the feeling. And again, we talk about selling tickets or um, following narratives of the season that it, it affects how do you how do you schedule your home opener matchups? Do you base them off of challenge cup matchups? Do you try to go against challenge cup matchups? It maybe even dilutes. I you know you talk about how Angel City isn't going to be playing at, at the bank for this, right? Mm-hmm. It dilutes that first game between LA and San Diego. Now it's just going to be sort of this preseason tournament game as opposed to waiting until not that I'm saying it shouldn't be regional, but it presents the issue with the, with the tournament itself. And so I think that there's that element as well, which is yes, you want to develop regional rivalries, but they're going to happen on their own. And a little bit of scarcity does actually go a long way. And so Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how I feel about the idea of, for example, um, maybe a good example is like Chicago playing Houston you know, there's a joke that Chicago and Houston always start their seasons against each other, mm-hmm. um, but they're going to play each other twice. And then that matchup, you then sort of base it off of these challenge cup games. And as we saw in the regular season, things changed rapidly for both of those two clubs as the season went on. So I don't know. I, I go back and forth on it, but um, 
I, I think that that presents an issue because I think the league has talked about how this regular season is going to be shorter. And I think mm. that's great, but the sort of vastness of all of it, whether it's the six week preseason and the seven week challenge cup, um, I'm not sure a 12 team league can sustain that. I don't know. Do you ever get team fatigue, Jason, when it just comes to teams that it feels like Washington has just played so sure. many times, but especially coming out of, you know, 2020. Um, and then that, you know, that shortened season, you have the fall series, the fall series. Right. Um, so, you know, if you look at this past, uh, I don't know, 20 something months, uh, it feels like the spirit has have played Gotham and North Carolina yeah. over and over and over and over. Um, yeah. And then I, I think there was a stretch last season where they all of their games against Orlando were, I think, all up front very early in the year. Yeah. Um, so it's another that's the, the that's that whole group, that East group. Right. Um, yeah, it, I think it does happen when I think about the West Coast teams. You know, it's nice for. um you know, if you're a Portland or OL Rain fan, you get to get at that early up close look at these new expansion at the teams. New teams. Yeah. But you're also now playing the biggest rivalry in the league. Yeah. A couple of extra times in yep. this strange, not uh, this sort of undefined tournament. It's kind of a weird, it was a necessity in 2020. In 2021, they took a shot at like, well, what else can this be? Right. It wasn't really effective. I, I don't think. Um, as much as it was treated as a big deal, right. uh, it was kind of one of those, let's fake it till we make it. And everyone at the end was like, I, I don't think this worked. Guys. I, yeah. I don't think this is for us. Well, everyone and got lucky that the final was a fun game, right? I think that that yes. was ultimately just how it was. Like that was a fun game between P- Portland and Gotham. It was dramatic. Hooray for them well, pulling that game. I think everyone was just proud of them for playing a good game. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> kind of, a, kind of a, a minor miracle. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know how teams are supposed to deal with that aspect of it. The yeah. the fact that, um, you know, I, I think back to uh, the old days of MLS or some of the other pre MLS leagues, because I'm old enough that I'm stuck with these memories. Uh, uh, thinking of like indoor soccer leagues where the, the league was smaller and you would see you know, I would go to Baltimore blast games and we would see the Cleveland crunch come to town like four times a season yeah, or the Harrisburg heat. And it was like, to some extent as a child, I was like, cool. These are our rivals. These are big games. It's exciting. But on the other hand, it's like you again. Um, And I do think that's going to hit for, you know, these, these geographical rivalries, especially. um, Yeah. uh, I think the spirit, the spirit are going to, it's going to feel like when they play Gotham again, I'm definitely going to have a moment during that game. Like, I can't believe I'm watching these two teams have to play each other yet again. Right. Um, Because I mean, on one hand I heard, and I think you heard this as well, that the initial challenge cup proposed groups was random, random draws, right? Yeah. They weren't geographic and all the teams were like, why are you making us travel during this thing? It's, and the unspoken assumption there is like, why are we having to travel so much during preseason? Preseason. Um, Right. Exactly. Because the tournament doesn't have a, a philosophical place in anything. It's just sort of a thing we're still doing. Right. Um, and I know from speaking to players uh, and, and listening in on some of these, um, you know, media zooms that have happened around the league over the last year, especially during last year's challenge cup, it seemed like a lot of players and coaches were really of the opinion that it should be turned into something that's just sprinkled in. Right. Um, 
where it's a, a cup competition. Now, right. 12 teams, I don't know how, how that works exactly. Right, um, but you, you would do, you would, right. I mean, you're right. I don't know exactly how, but like the concept of a random draw where you play one team once and one yes. team advances and one team does not. Yeah, there, there's some there's some path to sprinkling right. that in, most likely, um, that has either been deemed like, oh, that's too difficult, um, at, or was just like, well, but we want this, we want these games on the calendar at this time of year, right? Um, and and I don't know who's making that decision, but it, right. it doesn't seem like a soccer decision, is right. what I will say. I do not suspect this is made with the sport of soccer in mind. It's made with other things in mind, and it's going to come I suspect it's going to come out with we're going to watch some games where it's clear that like this team is sending out five or six players to learn whether they can hack it at right. the, the US or the NWSL level and right. whether they can try this alternative formation you know I yeah. know last year the spirit played two games with a back three and they right. made all their offseason moves based on that and then abruptly tossed that out forever yeah um, right and conclusively that's not, yeah. A, and, and, and that was when they got a lot better. So it was like, again, it's right. like, well, this feels like this whole experimentation period was just us all sort of gutting through something that wasn't really working. Yeah, you it's, know? it's got yeah. utility, but it's sort of like, yeah. Um, it's like it's the kind rehearsal. of stuff that you almost wish would happen behind closed doors. I don't know. Yes. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's um, my take. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that it's so long. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, it is true that I don't think anybody walked away from the 2021 Challenge Cup and said, you know what, we should make the group stage longer. Right. If yeah. anything, it was like it, last year, the complaint was this whole thing is too long. Right. Um, and, and part of it was last year, again, to keep coming back to this, a lot of the coaches and players were like, well, now preseason is basically just it's too long. Right. Uh, because they were treating the Challenge Cup as preseason. And right. now this year it's 13 weeks. If, you, if you're of that mentality that it is yeah. 100% preseason, now we're talking about a 13 week preseason. Yeah. Um, that is, that's three weeks longer, I believe. Yeah. Um, so that's no good. Um, no one on the soccer side, I think is going to be happy with it. And we're just going to have, I, I don't know. I, I think the league needs to radically rethink what they're doing. Yeah. I think the challenge cup can exist in some kind of way, but not like this. This is not useful for anyone or or even that exciting for fans. I don't, I don't think people are super excited about it. Yeah. I think people are taking their cues from the teams themselves and the teams Mm -hmm. have indicated that this is not the primary competition. Right. Um, Which I think is, is fine. I also just, uh, this is actually, maybe I'll say this here. Here's my, here's my positives on the challenge cup. Um, we have a lot of brand new coaching staffs in, in, in place. And mm-hmm. a lot of what we saw last year was a lot of very entrenched coaching. Be like, I know who my starters are. I know who my bench players are. I'm using this to get fitness going with the players that I know need it because they haven't played a full regular season in over a year. And that is what happened. And I think what we saw was we saw a lot of, uh, not very good games by 11s that should be playing better games. And so I don't think we're going to see that this year. I think we're going to see a lot sharper um, starters, established starters. I think we're going to see more depth put in because I think that we are going to have coaches that don't know exactly what their favorite 11 is because they're new. Um, And, and I, so there's an excitement there. There's, there's an excitement of getting to see uh, Amanda Cromwell's Orlando pride for the first time, or Mm -hmm. literally angel city and San Diego for the first time. Um, And then they're going to have to just sort of manage what expectations come or don't come 
from that experimentation period. So I do think it's going to be interesting in ways that last year was not this, but this, all this, all these other factors kind of are also in place. So just real quick, um, let's pick our super duper duper early, uh, region winners. I actually feel pretty, I feel like, I mean, challenge cup can, can go a lot of different ways, but I feel pretty confident, feel good about Washington, um, on the East, not because, and though I think Gotham could give them a run. However, Gotham, the, the group is too new. I think, Mm -hmm. I think Washington's got the cohesion on their side, right. Barring any sort of, um, major injury central. I don't know. It could be that's, Chicago. That's the tricky one. Yeah, it could I be Houston. Like. It could be Kansas City. Salute to Louisville. Uh, keep working on the project. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly. It probably yeah. depends on how fit Sam Mewis is, whether she can mm-hmm. go right away. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that one's going to be fascinating. I guess I don't really have a pick for Central. Though, again, this is the kind of thing where maybe Chicago's lack of movement helps them out. And Chicago actually looks decent at the mm-hmm. beginning of the year. Um, West. Ooh, I don't know. I feel like it could be the rain. What do yeah, you think about it, the West? I I do. I kind of like the rain. It seems like they are th- the tone they've struck this off season has been very like we feel like that should have been us. Um, yeah, right. And and to to be fair to them, I think the expected goals from that semifinal do kind of speak to that. Yeah, uh, they right. they missed. It wasn't that Aubrey Kingsbury played brilliantly and made 20 saves it was the, right. the rain missed the frame they, they the left goal. some stuff on the table there yeah, yeah. so right. I, I think for them there's a certain uh unfinished business thing that is authentic i don't know that laura harvey is going to be super uh enthusiastic about the, the challenge yeah she's destroyed. not gonna throw it all at the challenge cup yeah but but they've I got a big that, team though they've got a deep squad yes. yeah and and i do think they're the best set up um you know we we mentioned briefly portland's off-field issues that i think are probably going to cloud some of it yeah. Um. Into this next few weeks, and then two expansion teams that both have some question marks over what, not just what they're going to do, but you know, it's still unclear. I, I listened into San Diego's preseason um, media availability, and Casey Stoney said Naomi Gurm is a center back for her, very clearly. And I so was they like, well, just have a bunch of those. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. You, you, you do have a lot of good defenders, but yeah. I, I'm looking at your midfield, and I'm wondering. Who's your midfield? Um, Manashim. That's who's your, yeah. that's who your midfield um, is. Yeah, right. But yeah, I, I think I think the rain are a good. That's the easiest one, I think. Yeah. Um, the West seems uh, very fascinating. Maybe the most fascinating of the three groups, but also the one that is maybe the most clear cut. Yeah. Um, Gotham is the last team to not lose to the Spirit. Um, it's true. And, no, I like I like Gotham. I like Gotham's yeah. setup. I think that. Um, we just have, I just think that it's the kind of thing where you have some very big per- new, big personalities. And so I think yes. their communication is going to change the way they communicate on the field. Even just with Carly Lloyd is no longer there. You insert right. Ashlyn Harris into the back line. I just think that they might have some, uh, whoops moments sure. early it's on, <laughs> Yeah, which, which goes along with sort of these kinds of changes. But I think squad wise, yeah, I, w- I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to at least one of those Washington-Gotham games. We'll see if I'm excited for the second one, but... Right, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think I think if, you, if, if I'm picking the winners at this point, I'm going... Washington and Rain are pretty... Yeah. I think those are the easy ones. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to... Last year, I feel like Kansas City was not as far away as it seemed. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a lot of games where they were 
they lost only due to a little bit of a lack of talent in one area or another, right. or like a little bit of a mistake proneness. And they've right. improved on that front. Even if Sam Mewis can't play, right. adding Lynn Williams to that front line um, will change things a lot for them. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to go like Kansas city as, as a wild card. Yeah. I like Kansas city. I feel like their coach is such an unknown though. Yes. I, is my only. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because, but I mean, that's the West at this point, right? The, right. The, there's one team that is very established and then everyone else has undergone some sort of major yeah. change. Um, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe Houston comes from left field. Maybe, um, Maria Sanchez, uh, is, is a, hits the ground running. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's maybe that I, I don't no, know. I maybe, like, I'm I like Kansas city as a dark horse. Long. You're right. I mean, they were, they were, they, the stats favored them as, as the season went on mm-hmm. and they were still losing like two or three, nothing based on just individual mistakes mostly. So if, if that gets cleaned up, if they start um, reverting just closer to the average mean of the way they've been playing, I think that they mm-hmm. should be very competitive. Um, and they'll also have a little bit of a venue boost. I mean, you think about the rain yes. having a little bit of a venue boost. Kansas City will have a bit of a venue boost. I think that that's going to work in their favor as well. Um, yeah, I like Kansas City. Um, I was just thinking, I mean, this is this is random. Maybe this is a good, a hopeful thing to end off of. But, um, you know, it, we do talk, we talked a little bit about the coaching changes, the coaching carousel. And I don't, I don't necessarily love sort of the checking off of boxes because there's still so much more work to do. But hey, that whole Western region, that's four women coaching those teams. That mm-hmm. is a full region of women coaches. And I think that you got to celebrate the wins when they come. And I think that the NWSL for a long time boxed women out completely. And to be at a point where um, I believe it's uh, five out of the 12 coaches are, are, are women, I think is, is really, really great. And I, and I am looking forward to seeing those teams play each other just from that element as well. Well, this was, this was a lot of cross chatter. We'll see if this comes back to haunt us later. <laughs> we got into it. We got into it. We might get, I don't know if we're going to get any angry, angry messages about this one, but that's okay. That's the energy this week. You got to yeah. find stuff to talk about in the off season, good and bad. Um, yeah. Challenge cup kicks off in March, uh, which is rapidly approaching. We will be getting mm-hmm. the game soon enough. Next week, we will have us women's national team games to talk about. She believes is just around the corner. Um, there were some quick, maybe just some quick news, right? Jalen Howell and Trinity Rodman joined those roster, joined that roster this week due to some knee irritation to Lindsay Horan. And I believe a uh, back a lingering back issues yeah. to Abby doll Kemper. So we might see some uh, even more fresh faces in this tournament, which should be very exciting as well. Thank you, Jason, so much for joining me. Glad we could do it with some good news. Uh, shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you so much to our distributor blue wire podcast. And we will be back with y'all next week.